Hello, everybody, and welcome to another part of the Rowing Chat Olympic Review. Many of our loyal listeners will know that we've been doing a country-by-country country preview of the Olympic regatta with as many countries as I could muster where I could find an English speaker ready to talk about their team and their prospects. Here we are now, partway through the Olympic regatta, and we've actually got a two-day hiatus. Because of expected poor weather in Tokyo, there's going to be no rowing today and tomorrow. So I thought I'd take the opportunity of bringing an old friend onto Rowing Chat to have a run through the runners and riders, what we've seen so far, and what we think we might be able to expect in the final. Drew Ginn, welcome to Rowing Chat. Hey, you going, Rebecca? Good to see you. It's very nice. It's been a very long time since we did our interview. It, well, that, that, that feels like years ago now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you it was 2014. We were so early. <laughs> very much ahead of the curve. <laughs> now, I expect, like me, you've been having a fantastic week watching the regatta. Oh, it's been, it's been outstanding. I think, um, I mean, I love rowing like we all do. And... To know that the athletes have waited so long to have a true international regatta and um, and to see the countries coming who have probably had less competition uh, against other countries but have had their internal competition, seeing them come together, seeing all the European countries sort of go through World Cups and it's just been a fascinating almost two or three streams coming together and to see them on the on the lake there in in Tokyo is just extraordinary. It's um it's great to see and it's sort of it really uh, it's inspiring to watch. It lightens my heart. And like you've said, it's extremely hard, or it was before the regatta started, to have any sense of the relative speeds. Because as you rightly said, New Zealand, Australia, some of the South African teams really have done no competition at all. A lot of the South Americans the same. And then Europe has actually had a sort of okay half season, haven't they? That's right. And I think, you know, everyone who was watching World Cups on the way through was always watching with keen interest and then trying to, I think, mentally factor in who were the other countries, who were the other crews. But I think you're right. So they, it's not like the countries haven't had competition. The internal competition that gets created, particularly in some of the, the countries that actually have multiple boats, but it's really challenging if you've been in a country who doesn't have as many boats and all of a sudden you're trying to work out how do you gauge yourself. So it's been a fascinating exercise. I've done a lot of mental arithmetic, so just trying to work some things out. Um, and we've already seen in the heat rows and some of the repertage and all that sort of stuff, we've seen some really dramatic outcomes where some crews have performed exactly like people thought and then others have really gone missing. Um, but they've got a whole week to get this right, as we know. One of the things that I know happened during lockdown was Australia ran simulated regattas with your juniors, your under-23s and their senior team. Now, the uh, results of that were leaked and spread widely amongst the uh, gossip community. But it must be really hard for the selectors because, yes, you can do prognostic times. But if you're going to do a handicap start and get a whole load of crews whose you know times are broadly similar to get to the finish line at the same time, it's not the same as all going on the go. No, it's it's definitely not the same. And I think, you know, I go back to years ago when, you know, we would do things at Verazi on the lake there in the team. And so there were certain boats like the eights that was really interesting. That they're always going to chase people down. So they feel good catching crews. But then they're in an eights race where all of a sudden they've got crews that are equal to them or going faster than them. And that's a very different psychological situation. And so I think, yeah, you can do the comparisons 
Um, you can do the prognostics, but we do know athletes rise to the occasion and, and put on better performances when they're against their peers. Um, and sometimes when the boats are closer, it really draws out that, that through pressure, draws out that best performance. But likewise, you could be against a boat that puts pressure on and all of a sudden you don't quite know what to do with it. So the coaches do a lot of work in trying, trying to manage that. And I certainly know through the Australian process, like the New Zealand and I'm sure like a lot of other countries, they were trying to put as much pressure on the athletes, not just at those, those events, but also in between those events as well. So they were ready for it. I think most countries have reselected their crews that qualified in 2019. Um, some of them haven't. Uh, but let's start running through what's happened so far in the competitions and where are we at. So let's kick off with the women's single skulls. We've got to the semi-finals. We know who's in the A and B semi-finals. Yeah, I thought I, I thought it was amazing to watch Emma Twig yesterday, and uh, and I was thinking about sort of our, our former athlete Kim Kim Brennan, Kim and Brennan. Uh, and I was watching I was I was watching Emma Rowe and. Um, really outstanding performance, well, truly, well and truly clear of the field. And it just had that sort of reminder of sometimes you've got to be in the game long enough. You've got to go through a couple of different Olympic campaigns to really get your best opportunity. Um, and so to see her performing exceptionally well was outstanding. The obviously the Austrian athlete as well. Um, but what I do, what you love that's right. So what I do like is the women's skull event, while it's probably seemed a bit more open coming into the event, it does clearly seem like there's two to three athletes who are well and truly ahead of the pack. And, of course, a newcomer in the Russian athlete, whose name I'm not even going to pretend to pronounce, who has come up from under-23s in this extra Olympic year. Yeah, and I think what I've kept hearing through the commentary is, you know, she's come out of a women's squad that probably wasn't performing anywhere near as well. And we know that with crew boats, that often you can have a crew boat that doesn't necessarily have a great showing, but there's one or two athletes in it who are really outstanding. Um, her World Cup performances were sensational, as we know. Um, but it's different when you haven't been to the Olympic Games in a favoured position and, and you're dealing with the whole week-long competition, there's a lot of pressure. And we now know they've got two rest days effectively. So there's a lot of wait around time, isn't there? There is. I'm also looking a little bit more interestingly at the Irish Scala Puspuri because she wasn't as dominant as I expected. And I slightly wonder if she's had a hiccup somewhere in her build-up. I think... <laughs> If I'm to draw a conclusion here, I think when you've got athletes coming from a country like Ireland who they've been exceptional for the last couple of years, there's going to be some of those crews who have really put on a good show when not everyone's been there. Um, and my question would be is how much have they had them up early in the in the season, in the campaign, versus the ability to get them to go to go really long. So um, she looked good. But I think, you know, the coaches there will be very, very, very smart about it. You don't want to give everything away. As we know, the single scale is probably the toughest event for the women and for the men as well. But it's the toughest event in terms of backing up race after race. So the matches you burn today, you might not have that later on. So, you know, I just hope for her and, and for the coaching group there that they're really managing her effort. And if they're doing that, she'll perform exceptionally well. But they've still got the semifinals to get through before the finals. So, they, so there's yeah. a still a long road to go, isn't there? That's right. They've had quarterfinals. They have more rounds than any other competition. Let's yeah, and I think that that's, that's the thing about the heat. I was going to say, Rebecca, is... The humidity in Japan and, and the heat, we're seeing this with a lot of athletes and, and they'll get better at managing themselves the longer they're there. But for any athletes that are racing a lot, you're just going to start to see some real question marks over certain people that might have done too much too soon in the racing. Good point. Men's singles. We've got most of the expected names with the sad exception of Andre Sinek and uh, Mahi Drysdale in the regatta. And they're also through to the semifinals now. 
yeah, that's been some really exciting racing. But I, I, again, like the women's single, I think cards are being held well and truly to their chest. I think Demir Martin is uh, is looking like he's he's back in the form that he was five years ago. Um, the Norwegian scholar obviously has come out of the double scale with Olaf Tufti, who unfortunately wasn't able to go through in the quads race, but he's looking fantastic as well. But my my really exciting pick is Nielsen from Denmark, and just the way he scales reminds me a lot of Zeno Muller through the late 90s, where he's got that really barrelly sort of chest, big, strong legs, um, not a lot of body swing, but it's so effective and so well-connected, and, and he's had a great World Cup campaign as well. He also has a really interesting arrangement. His seat is much higher above the sides of the boat than anything else. He's got one of those forward tilted seats. And I wonder if that is also part of his, you know, high center of mass, boat planing high above the water as well. Yeah, he seems to have a, a technical efficiency and, and a movement in the boat that really works. And, and the setup looks like it's dialed in really well. And, and the other scholar we haven't spoken about is the German scholar. And um, he's yeah. the biggest, he looks like the biggest athlete out there. He's like an albatross, isn't he? He'd be twice as wide as you, you know, two of you side by side. <laughs> That's right. I, you know, we know that the uh, waterway in, in Japan is, it's coastal, it's, you know, it's salt water. We also know it's prone to wind. And history told us that Kim Brennan, not so good in the rough water when she hit it in Rio. We also suspect that he has a similar proclivity because he's frankly new to the sport. And yet, it's all to play for, but you just don't want the final races stuffed up by weather actually giving a slightly unfair competition. No, I agree. And, and I think that the frustrating thing, I suppose, if I was in an athlete's situation right now, is they've got two rest days when the weather actually still looks okay. okay um, yeah. the, Wednesday's, the Wednesday's weather report looks like the wind's increasing quite dramatically, doubling in, in strength from, say, four or five metres per second to eight metres per second. So... If I was an athlete, as much as you sort of say you deal with the same conditions as everyone else, having two days where you might be training on the course, watching it and going, hey, look, it looks fantastic out there if you get hit by a really bad day. But what you've just said about the German scholar, I think, is really, really evident. We know the taller scholars. Mahe Drysdale and Andre Senek have probably flown in the face of this, but generally the taller scholars with long limbs and stuff do struggle in the in the rougher water. Um, but this German scholar, having come from swimming, you know, one of the things about him is he may not have the skills, but what I do hold in hope for him is that he's got such easy boat speed in the first 1,000 and 1,500 metre races is that if he stays relaxed and just sticks to that process, even in rough water, he actually might put himself in a really advantageous position. We'll find out. Let's move on to the men's and women's pairs. Women first. Yeah, geez, we've had some exciting racing there, haven't we? I think, um, obviously, I'm, I'm a bit biased. The women's Australian pair, obviously, going very, very well. I, I watched the other day really keenly as to how much energy they wanted to put in. They, they clearly wanted to win the race, there's no doubt about it, but it was as if they were trying to conserve energy for turn around two hours later and go out back out in the women's four. But um, they're, a very good, they're a very good pair, no doubt about it. Um, obviously, having Helen Glover back in the GB pair as well um, with Polly Swan, um, Watching them, and that's the thing, like they sort of looked a little bit out of sorts in their heat row, mm. but the confidence and the maturity, they'll get better as the regatta goes on. And and really, I mean, you can't go past the New Zealand pair, can you, in terms of, you know, they've set the fastest time ever that's been rowed by a women's pair. Um, and the stroke seat there, you know, really knows what she's doing. But for me, that's going to be a really exciting race and really interesting to see how it plays out um, for the athletes as they get back towards the end of the week. Yeah, I... Take what you say about um, the British pair. However, I will 
I'm fairly sure that Robin Williams is no longer coaching them. And I think there's a little bit of stardust that he adds to a crew um, and that possibly they won't quite find the form that they had when they were in a pair together. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a piece around, um, and, and I've had a personal experience with this, when you come back into a competition, you've done all the right training, you've done all the right things, but you haven't had the competition. And so until you actually race against the standard and all of a sudden before you know it, you go, wow, how do we get five seconds behind? So my, my thought process is, as you say, like not having a great coach like Robin there, um, maybe not having enough races up their sleeve to work how, how to get faster and faster. And, and, and maybe there's a piece around physiological training as well. If they went and had another month's training after this, it might be different, but we'll, we'll see how it pans out. I think um, my thing is a quality coach behind the scenes, even though they often don't get the recognition. As we know, people like Robin Williams um, was instrumental in all those women's pairs for GB over the years. I think the key jeopardy for the semi-final of the women's pair is going to be the fact that the Aussie girls have got to double up. They'll have done the fours final in the morning and then they've got to turn round and win or come top three in a semi-final. Do you think they'd risk an outside lane in the final just to get there? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I think I think they're they're not they're not experienced enough for them to play those sort of games, and and I don't think the coaching staff would would condone that or, or think about that. I think the way they would view it is row your best race, put you out your best performance. Um, if you get knocked off and and that puts you in an outside lane, so be it. Um, but don't jeopardise putting yourself in an outside lane by playing games. And and I, I think we saw in London, you know, you can get weather conditions that. As soon as you don't get the semi-final result, they can play against you. So we, we know on this course that it is and has been a crosswind and cross tail, yeah. cross head. Um, it's really exposed through that middle section where that opening is. Um, but that wind funnels up and down the course. So I, I don't think the athletes would want to jeopardise not being in favourable lanes if that, uh, if that was done. Certainly, they were incredibly fit and did incredibly well in their doubling up earlier in the week. And, you know, good for them. Absolutely. Men's pair. Oh, well, I love what the Croatians have been doing for some time now and uh, to see them come from the double skull, I think everyone uh, has put them down as the crew to beat. Um, the way they've been rowing and training, and I've been watching just bits and pieces on social media, they've really worked their rhythm over the over the last few years and um, they've worked their length forward and particularly the bowman of the Croatian pair, like his shins are vertical, he's well and truly stretched out. Um, they've had some challenges with injuries over times and all that sort of stuff, but they seem to be in just outstanding form um, the other one I really like, and I really enjoyed watching the Danish crew the other the other day race, and just how easy their boat speed was early. They looked tall, they looked long and levered. Um, I'm not sure about their their endurance and their capability down the back end of the race, but they'll certainly factor themselves in for a good result. That's for sure. I enjoyed the Italians as well in the repechage. Those guys are kind of politely nuts in that kind of mad Italian sort of way. You know that they will lay absolutely everything on the line and they, you know, possibly could, you know, rate crazy high in order to affect the result that they want. Yeah, and I think you're right there. I think the point that is noticeable about the Italian crews and the crews who'll be doing their assessment on the race is that you could be three lengths in front of them going through the three uh, the thousand metre mark. Yeah. And they'll just start to wind it up. They'll keep winding, they'll keep winding, they'll keep winding. Because the way they're trained is just keep going until you actually across the finish line. So some crews write them off because they're behind. But if we see them get a fast start, they'll be very hard to hold off, that's for sure, because they'll just keep going down the track. And they don't mind winding up to 50 strokes a minute at the end, do they? There's a lot more 
uh, tactics possible in the smaller boats, particularly if you know you've got that sort of trick in your playbook. Um, you know, I, I find my frustration with some of the live course commentary is, you know, they're 250 meters out and they're already calling things. It's like, uh, hang on, boys, you yeah. know. <laughs> and I think you're right. So what I've noticed about particularly the pairs racing, um, a lot, lot can chop and change. And, and we're, we're, as much as I'm talking about the Croatians being the very dominant crew, we've even got an Australian crew in there. And if you go back and look at the heat times, I think they're all within a second of each other at the 1,000 metre mark. Um, and so for my mind, if you've got four crews coming through like that, um, margins can change dramatically. But if someone really has a flyer early, um, they can be pulled back just because they've spent so much energy. So, And we know the pairs, when they're going well, um, people can be on top, it can feel lively, um, but in crosswind conditions, and this is for the for the men's and the women's pairs, crosswind conditions can be really challenging. If you're in some of those outside lanes with bouncy and choppy water, um, you could look like a fantastic crew in the heats and the, and the semifinals, but all of a sudden you're having trouble in the finals. Talking about the bounce, I've been told that the tubes that are down the side of the course are apparently baffles designed to absorb the energy of the wave, so hope they're working. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and what's noticeable too, I think we've had courses like, say, Bled in Slovenia, which were very exposed. And so once you've got a bit of bounce up and down and you've got a bit of brickwork, it sort of reverberates into the middle. And this could be like that, but it's great that they've actually put that technology in for sure. Let's go on to the doubles. We'll start with the lightweight women's and men's doubles. So these this event is also now round into a semi-final. Um, it's a it's a cracking lineup yet again. Women first. Yeah, so what I, I've, I've liked here, and the Romanian women for me, the Netherlands women, the French, and obviously the Italians are all in the middle of the field there. Um, what what I think is amazing is when you think about the lightweight rowing, and I know we've lost um, some events, um, but historically lightweight rowing has been the most competitive events we've we've seen on the on the calendar usually. So things so so I think the thing that I've really noticed is the Romanian women look fantastic. The Dutch obviously, um, I believe their coach is in quarantine now. He might have got a positive test for COVID or something. Something like that was reported yesterday. So yeah. um, so the thing that would be challenging for me, I think that you see, uh, is that. If he's not able to interact with them quite as much as normal, you know, how does that sort of play out? So I think you'd hope that the athletes are very clear about their plans. Um, but also we've got the situation where the French lightweight women um, have looked fantastic as well. And the British, I know, are holding out great hopes for their girls who are, I think, um, that they've been together as a crew for quite a long time. So don't, don't discount them. I don't think the, new, uh, the USA are likely to be, I think they'll make the A final. Um, but I'm not so sure. But along with you, I think those Romanians, they're young. They just yes, seem to know. have balls with a capital B. Like, wow. Yeah, and we've seen, and this is not just for the women's lightweight double, but for some of the women's Romanian crews, there seems oh, to be yeah. some stellar performances coming up. Um, that lightweight double, when you watch it, the ability for them to get the boat up to speed and stay up um, looking so efficient, so easy, so rhythmical is outstanding. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't mean it looks perfect. It just means that they're just very effective with what they do, don't they? And they, they, they're, not, they're not timid. They're, they're not scared at all to keep pushing it all the way down the track, right? Lightweight men, who's lined up for their semi-final? So in the middle of the crew, in the middle of the field, I mean, we've watched this a little bit. You talk about Ireland before. Um, they've been the crew that's gone through all the World Cups looking just so outstanding. Um, obviously, the German... 
the German uh, lightweight double has uh, shown out pretty well, but unfortunately, um, un unfortunately for them, yeah, I think they're going to have a, an island crew that's uh, in really good form. But they talk about the German crew right now doing much, much better than what they've done during the season. Um, Norwegians have looked fantastic. Obviously, Italians. We were talking offline about how good the Italians can be in certain seasons and stuff like that. So, for me, that's looking pretty exciting. The Poles were the other one that I thought was really interesting watching, not only some of their other crews, but also this particular crew. So. Um, as we said, with the women's lightweight double, they're, they're the closest events that you can possibly have. And so we know that giving away a canvas or half a length you know, can mean the race down the back end. Sort of thing. So, um, but if I was to put my house on it, I'd be, uh, I'd be backing in the Irish and the Germans, that's for sure. I noticed particularly in the repechages, you could really tell the difference between the crews that were rhythmical and just had like a massively robust beat to the way that they were rowing. And they tended to be out the front. And it was very much a thing that I felt was demonstrated much more clearly in the doubles, both heavy and lightweight, than in some of the other boat classes. That you could see, particularly often a bowman or bow woman was like rushing a little bit off the back, sometimes getting their catch in a shade earlier. And the parallels perhaps a tiny little bit out. And yet the ones that were out the front just seemed to have this you know, beat that was just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And it was just so strong that you could see that they could dominate through rhythm almost rather than necessarily just through brute force. Yeah, and I think that's that, that for my mind when we've watched, and I'll just use a reference around the Irish again, is when we've watched them compete, often they're giving away a bit of margin, not because they're not putting effort into it, but they row the boat with such rhythm and efficiency. And again, it, it doesn't look perfect. It's not all harmonious and synchronised, but as you say, they're so effective at keeping the boat going. And I think that's the thing about the lightweight boats is if you can keep your boat going through 750 metres to 1,500 metres, it's amazing how you can go from being level with the field in and around the mark to being a boat length in front, but it's it's maintaining the boat speed. So we know the lightweights have a, have a difficult time changing dramatic boat speed, but they're very good at keeping the boat speed on for the very good crews. And, and the Irish crew has shown that, you know, all through the World Cups. I'd like to go and check whether they flat split their four quarters of the race or whether, in fact, you know, the, you often feel, particularly in the lightweights, that half of the field starts to lose boat speed in the third 500. Yeah, it's, it's a noticeable one, isn't it? I think if you look back historically, the small boats and probably use the pairs and use the, the, use the doubles in this regard, the crews generally that will get the results are the ones that can even split from second to third five. And so, and if there's a, if, if there is a fade, there's a bigger fade by their competitors. And so the ability for them to either go out fast or really hold speed for a long time is, is really key. But it also means that they've got something in the tank. And what we know is the rate goes up, the boat speed won't improve dramatically, but when other crews have already slid off in the third five and they're trying to come back, they don't get their boat speed back anywhere near as much. So, so um, so for my mind, I think that's where the lightweight boats, they know they can't give away boat speed and just, just haul it along, um, but they've got to keep it up and alive the whole way. Now we've got the men's and women's heavy doubles. Now this is a uh, A finals we've got lined up. First, the women, Romania, New Zealand, Lithuania, Netherlands, Canada, and the USA. Yeah, so uh, I think Romania has looked pretty good in this boat as well. Um, Canada was an interesting crew the other day, I thought. I thought that was an interesting one to sort of watch them coming down the course. And we're seeing some Canadian crews go very well. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's it's probably something that I think, as you said before about the doubles, the women's doubles being rowed and it's being rowed the same way as the men's double. It's being rowed very aggressively. You know, so... Um, 
on qualifying speed, the, the Romanians did 7.04 um, to qualify for the A final, whereas New Zealand, Netherlands and Canada were all 7.08, 7.09. So, uh, you know, they've, they've perhaps revealed their hand. They, they've shown that they have, you know, potentially four seconds of, of boat speed. So they'll we'll certainly be looking to see whether the others can close the gap on them. What about yeah, the men? Absolutely. Oh, I really enjoyed watching um, uh, the French the other day, I think, from memory, if it's, if it's correct for me okay. saying that. So the French, and I was just going back, I was thinking why it resonated with me was I think there was a French double 2004 um, that was very, very good. And uh, while they rode very differently, I think they're much more aggressive than previous generations of French crews. Um, but if I, was to be, uh, if I was to be picking one crew that seems to be the standout crew in that field, it definitely seems to be the French. Yeah, I noticed that the the Chinese men's double. I think that's their top boat um, on the men's side, and certainly it's it's showing that they are getting some excellent coaching. You know, Chinese boats come and go a little bit. You don't often see the same crews year after year, and partly it's because until recently China has always focused on their regional competitions as being more important than things like the World Champs and the Olympics. Um, so I don't think you should write them off, but. You know, the Netherlands, they were also very, very fast winning their semi-final. Yeah, and I think whenever you, you know, use the reference around the Dutch there, I think whenever you see a squad that goes pretty well, so they've got a pretty good quad, obviously, as we know, and we'll talk about mm -hmm. that in a second. So when you see the squad the squad going well, you usually know that there's going to be linked up boats that are in there and they've had high competition. So um, go back to the Chinese. I think you're right. Like watching some of the Chinese crews, this double was similar. But there's a smoothness to it now where before what you would sort of see is Chinese crews sometimes timed it very well, rode really hard, but they just didn't have the feel and the smoothness with the boat. And so that influence of having a few extra coaches over there, and I know Paul Thompson and Steve have been doing work with them behind the scenes, um, that influence is surely coming through in terms of being able to not only work hard, row well together, but row better together. Yeah, it's definitely that difference between learning to row out of a book and then learning by being shown by somebody who can do it really well themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think the one that we noticed with you know, the Chinese crews there, and, and obviously we've got some other crews we'll talk about, um, there's some outstanding things that have happened with their crews. What's, what's always noticeable is you sometimes don't see these athletes for yeah, a full four years or a full eight years or whatever it might be. So what's got to be really difficult for the athletes is if they only get two years at this, um, they're not really building up the, 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 the investment of time and energy of understanding the competitions they're racing in the boat classes they're racing in. So as a result, that's going to be really challenging for them. But as we know, they're, they're looking much, much better at the moment, that's for sure. Let's move on to the quads, men's and women's quads. Yeah, so what I was, uh, I'm just taking note here. So let's talk the women's quad. So I'll tell you what, you're talking about a Chinese crew. That women's quad does look outstanding, don't they? They, um, they seem to have something very, very special in terms of how they're working together. Um, what I've liked in, 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 the, in the racing with watching them and, you know, just thinking about the crews they're up against, the China crew seems the most dominant crew at the moment. But, but what's really encouraging is when you see the German crew has come back out and really shown that they're highly competitive again. And we've watched for a couple of years where the German crews haven't been as successful. But for me, we've got two crews in the middle of the field showing outstanding talent and capability. The, the, the quad from Netherlands obviously had some very good World Cup form. My concern for them is when I watch them row, there seems to be some great talent, but there seems to be some quirky things they're doing with some of their movements in terms I of how they grab the water and yeah. hold the water. And yeah, yeah. so, and, and even watching, I think their bow girl the other day, um, 
clearly wasn't the same sort of range or position out front as, as the rest of the crew. So while I reckon they're probably a crew that could fly and win the gold medal, they seem to have some things that are just a little bit disconnected, which is a bit surprising with a, with a Dutch crew, that's for sure. And the Poles obviously have done very well over the years as well and in a good position there too. I think the thing to look for is to look at the tension in the shoulders. I definitely have seen a couple of crews where you've just seen someone, their shoulders are just up a little bit and you just think that's potentially just wasted energy or a lack of efficiency. Yes, yeah. In the men's quads, again, we've got a Polish crew and a Dutch crew in the middle of the final who are going to be just awesome. Plus your Australian quad, how are they going to go? Oh, look, I think they'll, they'll go very well. They're a new form crew. Um, some of the things that they've, they've changed, they've changed personnel to find a faster combination. So, you know, you've got to trust a process that has, has been played out. Um, I like what Luke Letch is doing in the stroke set. He, he's a very tall athlete. And, and what he's worked out with the guys behind is him rowing full length out the front doesn't work for the crew, but him rowing what looks like almost like a three-quarter length um, works very well for the crew, keeps it alive. He's got some very good athletes behind him, Cam Girdleston there in the uh, in the three-seat. Um, what's noticeable when you talk about the Dutch, I mean, the Dutch quad looks fantastic. I mean, they've had a number of great men's sculling boats over the years, haven't they? Um, the Poles, obviously, but the Italians have been another crew that has actually gone very well through the World Cup period. So for my mind, when we look at some of these crews coming together, the quads racing is, is some of the more exciting racing. Um, but also, I think, and just looking down the list here, um, you wouldn't underestimate... Uh, Great Britain in terms of a relatively young crew, I believe. Is that right? I think that's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. you know, so so there's, there's, there's the ability for young crews, I think, to also roll a dice and give themselves a chance as well. So, um, But for me, I think you can't go past the Poles, the Dutch, and, and, and maybe the Italians and the Australians, that's for sure. I know the British crew include at least one guy who was – the stroke guy was at Rio. I think he got a last-minute call-up because somebody got injured. But um, So they're, they're not entirely young. Let's go on to the fours. Uh, you know, personally, I just love a straight four. Um, the women's straight four is going to be one hell of a barnstormer. We've got Great Britain, Ireland, Australia, the Netherlands, China, and Poland now into the final. What's your yeah? Point? And and I'm, I, I'm as you're getting with my routine here. I'm probably focusing on the crews that I think are going to get the medals. Uh, look, I, I think the Australian crew, I'm biased, but the Australian crew is looking very, very good for that gold medal. And we know that the performances over the last couple of World Championships is there. Um, the Netherlands crew, I mean, this is their pick of their, their, their women's boats from what I understand. You know, so this has been a favoured boat for them um, and they've been going very well. And the Irish, I mean, the other day what they did in the heats with the Australian girls and as much as the Australian women's four, I know was trying to probably conserve energy or that's how it looked to me. The Irish girls and the Irish program right now has such courage and boldness in the way they row and race. And so you've got three crews who I think, in all honesty, will streak out in front of the field quite a long way. The question will be is who can row the boat well enough at the back end, particularly with some athletes like the Australian athletes doubling up and who can conserve a bit of energy and really roll the dice in that final. But, um, you know, I think uh, I'd like to think you know, the Australian crews, this will be a, a very, very good gold medal chance for them, that's for sure. And on the men's side, we've got in the middle of the boat, again, Australia and Great Britain. You know, there's nothing like a long-standing rivalry, is there? <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> zip it, Drew. Uh, no, look, I think um, 
I was surprised, actually. So to be fair, when I saw the Great Britain World Cup performance this year, and I think it was in Varese, and the way they dominated the field, I thought, oh, hold it, here we go. We're going to have another very dominant performance from GB. Um, I think what we saw in the heats was the Australian crew has got the equal of anyone else in the field. Um, Great Britain's maybe not going as well as what it was going relative to the field during the, during the season. We know that sort of uh, pops up. My question is, is is there so much pressure on the GB4 to win a gold medal and, and how's that going to play out? Um, the Italian four is obviously a very good four, but I tell you, the one that really impressed me the other day was the four from the US, which I know Tim McLaren's coaching over there with Mike Tatey. But the way that four, and obviously their eight road as well, the way they moved on the water um, was very reminiscent of the way Tim coaches his crews. Great feel, um, great efficiency. So I think the fours race is going to be much closer than what people realise. And I just hope for the Australian crew, they time it really, really well. But I, I, And I also hope that for the competition that it's not just a two-horse race like we've seen a few times. Certainly, Tim has produced a bronze medal for the USA for at uh, London Olympics. And I also think the British might be under some pressure to perform because Jürgen Grobler is no longer coaching them. I think there's a there's a kind of expectation there that they want to honour him, but also recognise that he, he left the programme before the Olympic year uh, was out. Yeah, and I think, I think when you talk about coaching staff, you know, my, my, my take on the outside looking at Jürgen was he gave his athletes such confidence. And you spoke about Robin Williams before. I believe he's coaching the, the four. And so Robin will do the same thing for these guys. But I think it's very different having a coach who has dominated event in a boat class and boat classes like Jürgen, knowing full well that he's got a very clear recipe, he's got a very clear plan. So when he says to you, you're going to go well here, yet you get real confidence from that. I think Robin is someone who the guys will really believe in. I don't question that there at all. But as you say, it's a newish combination. Um, there's a massive amount of pressure on it, but there's been a massive amount of pressure on the Australian fours over the years as well. So I think that's why I look at the US you know, crew in that sort of situation um, and really sort of wonder about who else is going to come out of the woodwork like the Dutch and all that sort of stuff to challenge these, these crews out in front. Let's move on to the big eights. Start with the women and we'll end with the men. Who's the runners and riders? Well, the thing for me, I mean, we've got a situation where I think um, I was watching the other day, the remaining crew, I really enjoyed watching the way they were moving on the water. Um, and just um, a few names pop up. Pescu is a name that pops up as a surname. You know, so, so, and I don't know if it's the family connection, it's a relative of some sort or it's a daughter or whatever it might be. But when you hear names like that in remaining crews, and I believe there's two remaining crews at this competition that have the name of Pescu. So... I like the idea that there's that, that that connection there. And you watch the way they're moving, it's outstanding. Um, the New Zealand women, obviously, you know, world champions last time around, um, came from behind in the heats, um, but looked very, very dominant down the back end. Um, and the US, I mean, Tom Tahar, obviously, as a coach, you know, we talk about track records, we talk about history and credibility. What I liked about watching the US the other day in particular was they gave away a bit of margin, they got their stroke rate down, they really drove it every single stroke. And they just became so dominant down the back end of the race that it was just something that really watched and be impressed by. And I think, for my mind, you've got a couple of crews there who, you know, any one of them could really broke, break it open. But what we've got is a couple of crews who are very good at coming home. And so even if someone gets out to three-quarters of length margin, I think there's two crews that really know how to row those sort of margins down. And so you're going to be holding your breath right to the end of the women's race, I think. Yeah, and don't forget, of course, the New Zealand women have a pair that's doubling up, although not potentially having their finals on the same day unless the weather intervenes. 
Yeah, and, and, and let's talk about double ups just for the moment. I think what I love about women's rowing is they do do the double ups. What I always find really complex in my mind watching the women's races is who's doubling up in what and what impact and effect that'll actually have on their competitions. But the powers of endurance that the girls seem to show and the women's rowing seems to show is the ability for them to do a turnaround, race a day apart, race consecutive days um, is really impressive. But the New Zealand girls, as we know, they're trained in such a way that, that doing extra races shouldn't be a problem for them. And, and when you've got athletes that have real confidence in how to take the boat up to a certain uh, speed, so Pendergrass, for example, she really seems to know how to dial into the right speed. Um, she really seems to know how to pace it right for herself and for her crewmates around. And I think that'll hold them in very good stead, clearly. Let's go to the big blue ribbon event, the men's eight. Ah, uh, well, becoming before this regatta, I mean, the World Cups threw up everything, didn't they? So, think, so <laughs> we saw Great Britain you know, win a World Cup in such great form and you sort of look and go, wow, this is going to be a, a, an unbelievable season for them to go potentially back-to-back -back at the Olympic Games. I think what we saw with the Germans, and we always knew they were going to be waiting in the bushes to come out and strike at some sort of stage and they put themselves back in there. Um, it's hard to go past great, uh, Germany, clearly. Um, GB, you know that they're going to come up for the final. That's that, that's an understatement, um, I think. Netherlands, for my mind, I think what I really like about them with Mark Emke, their coach, is that they've been a crew that's been around the medal positions for a number of years now. They seem to be much more effective at getting connected out front um, than what they were during the season or back even last season. Um, but the US, for my mind, is another crew. We watched their boat speed for the first 1,500 metres the other day. And that third 500 was outstanding in terms of speed they carried. So we know sometimes having a heat and then waiting for a final can be a real challenge for some. Um, but going through a ripper charge for some can be great to have an extra race. So um, I think we've got four crews in particular. And, uh, and I still think Germany will get there. But I think the US are going to push them really hard. And those other crews are going to be right on the heels. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that race. I want to it's move a on. Good one. <laughs> talk a little bit about the balance of nations. Now, no na single nation has qualified a boat for every single event, which is kind of good. You know, there are more people playing in the in the in the game park, I suppose, if we can call it. But Ireland haven't they done an amazing job? They've always been around as a rowing nation, but I think they've got more crews than they've ever had before, and heavy and light, and men and women. It's amazing. Yeah, they've got, they, they seem to have, and, and I go back a few years ago when they would have a lightweight crew come out and they might have a um, a women's crew come out like a pair or something like that sort of thing, but they seem to have the ability to get men and women, so the gender balance is good. Um, they seem to get lightweight and heavyweight boats working really well now. Um, it's been a long build up and I don't know all the backstory and all that sort of stuff, but clearly, you know, when I was rowing, they've had change of coaches and gradually that, that building up of IP and knowledge really helps internally, I'm sure, you know, and, and then getting the systems right. So what seems to be happening now is we're seeing, um, call it a renaissance period for them. Yeah, we're seeing a period of really great growth and um, great performances, but all of a sudden it's, it's a thing that I'm sure gives confidence. And we, we've seen this with South Africa years ago as, as well, which was one crew gets a result, two or three years later, all of a sudden two crews get a result, then three crews get a result. So it builds. And so we've seen that with Ireland, they've, they've built, New Zealand did the same thing. Um, but as I say, I think for my mind, it's, it's the, it's the intellectual knowledge about how to row, how to train, how to prepare. And then it's the athlete group and population starting to believe in themselves and they're clearly believing themselves now. They definitely said that two of the girls out of the women's four have come through the US collegiate system. So you know they're yes. going to be well-trained. Like there's no question they'll be fit. Uh, so I think, you know, that's a great way of, 
benefiting a smaller country, not so good perhaps, you know, for the USA and, you know, the number of athletes <laughs> they have coming through, um, but they're doing the whole world a favour. They are, and if we if we reflect on that for a moment, Rebecca is um you know that 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 policy that they have with gender balance in the sport in the US, which is spending equal amount of money on 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 women's sport, you know whenever that came in twenty years ago, whatever it might have been, that really helped the US dominate rowing, because rowing was a sport they invested in, but as you say, it's now helped the world do better in rowing because all of a sudden a lot of athletes are getting exposure not just in rowing but also in other sports to US college sport. Um, and the college system over there is fantastic in terms of high competition. So we're getting the benefit in Australia. You know, so as much as the US Olympic Committee and the US Sporting National Organization isn't trying to help the world, you know, in invertedly what they're doing by, by getting a gender balance is actually helping the rest of the world, which is great. Yeah, I think Title IX actually came in in something like 1979 or 78. But I gather Australia has been really enlightened in running their selection trials and having a late selection opportunity for people who are studying overseas. Um, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's not just it's it's running later trials helps running trials over in the US as well as in Australia, mm -hmm. um, affording the US athletes an opportunity to know that when they first get integrated into the system they're going to be doing small boats they may not go particularly well so there's a different kind of conversation around them um, we've done some things which i think were really instrumental hammy fernandez who's the pathway manager um you know when they all of a sudden went well we'll boat a whole eight you know and i'm using the guys here as a reference but we'll boat a whole eight from the us women men that sort of stuff so instead of trying to get the athletes to integrate as under 23s with the athletes back in australia they said no we'll, we'll give them a crew we'll give them the four you know so so i think we've been much more aware of talent over there going over there getting a, an education and, and continue to train but you've got to change the mindset of people internally and i know that there's been a number of people in australian rowing yeah, and i'm probably going back into the 90s when athletes you know wouldn't get an opportunity to come back into the system um where now we look forward to integrating them and we try to keep communicating with them and keep connected with them which makes a massive difference I want to wrap up with a little bit of a talk about doping. Um, this is a really nasty subject. And fortunately, I think we can both agree that rowing has an extremely good reputation. But am I the only person who feels like the Russian athletes competing as the Russian Olympic Committee is just a travesty? They, sh they should not be there because their country has stuffed up. Or am I being really too harsh? Um. I don't think you're being too harsh. I think that's probably the the, the the verbal dialogue that's going on in people's heads when they watch some of these some of these events. I, I found the same thing. I found myself explaining to my kids why it's the Russian Olympic Committee um, and not Russia, or or why these athletes, you know, why this country is competing right now under these circumstances. So, so I think as an athlete, what's you know, you say it's a tough subject to talk about, but it, it's real in sport. It's probably less prevalent in rowing than some of the other professional sports where there's a lot of money involved for medals and results. But still, we've seen some weird results over the years um, and some, some weird results that don't always stack up. So when a, a country and a federation gets implicated like the Russian uh, Federation has, I think you get a lot of other athletes going, well, hold on, like that, that, that's clearly got speculation over it. Um, you don't want that. Um, and there's got to be a penalty for a country doing what they did, right? So, and right now, there doesn't seem to be that penalty that's actually been uh, been locked in the sand. Um, what I don't like, though, is also athletes getting penalised just because of association or getting penalised when they may not have had choices themselves. So, so I think it's not a harsh one, but it is a reality around just speculating as to, you know, why they're there, how they're there, um, what's maybe going on behind the scenes. 
the final one I would say on the doping situation is what I reckon is that is that is one of the worst situations is when you get a crew ruled out for a doping violation, but then it leaves a situation, say for the Lithuanian crew the other day, it leaves a situation where they get notified so late in the piece. And then you watch them race and you go, I know they would be better than that if they had been training and competing right the way through, but they've they've not focused on this and now they've got to call up the Olympic Games. So that makes a sham of the Olympic Games as far as I'm concerned. So we're too reactive, you know, and, and I don't quite know what the solution is, but certainly I think we need to be more responsive when allegations and positive tests and, and, and implications like that are there. So I, I really feel for those Lithuanians, particularly as it was two crew members from the Russian quad. It wasn't, you couldn't say it was one bad apple. You know, when two people are no. doing it, you have to have suspicions about the other two who didn't test positive. But my personal view is I think there's a one strike in your out rule is probably one way. So as long as the testing is good, and I believe WADA do an incredibly good job, um, that actually if rowing wants to stay clean, they need to be harsher than most so that the risk you know, has enormous jeopardy. If you value your athletic career, you don't do doping. Yeah, so, and, and I'll give you the, you're right. So, so penalising the athletes has been the mode of operating since the start, right? So we penalise the athlete for a positive test. But we know the athletes aren't always 100% responsible or aware of what's going on for them. So for my mind, penalising the federation in such a way, which is what you now miss, on the, miss out in the Olympic Games in that particular sport or all sports, I guarantee the governments are then tightening up what they do and, and wouldn't look to be doing cheating systematic programs. So so then the athletes aren't just being penalised, the country's being penalised and then you get a systematic change, I think, that needs to be there. So, um, But you're right. I mean, I even we, we even saw some of the Australian athletes um, over the years who retrospectively get a bronze medal. Yeah, And, and, and the athletes sort of go, yeah. I've been completely robbed of that situation. Now, now there might have been speculation about those performances at the time um, and sometimes what you hear about is there might have been positive tests even before the olympic games that weren't brought to the surface and, and and dealt with appropriately so you've got an athlete who comes forth goes home lives around for six months 12 months and then finally gets told you're now a bronze medalist that mm -hmm. seems wrong you know so so for me i think the federation and the athlete need to be in conjunction here in terms of the penalties and the penalties need to be bigger for the country i think than, than what they yeah. are i think you, you do need that parallel system because Frankly, athletes come and go, you know, an athletic career is not particularly yep. long, but the structures behind them are the things that facilitate and enable success or, you know, other things. And I think you Correct. you have made some really good points. Perhaps I need to get on a podcast with somebody from, from WADA. We'll see about that. <laughs> Drew, it's been a delight having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for giving your time and uh, let's enjoy the next day off. And perhaps we'll meet again later on during the Olympic regatta. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Good to see you again. So to anyone else watching, this has been Rebecca Caro and Drugin from the Rowing Chat podcast. You can find us in all good podcast apps. And till next time.